So here we are. And the question is, well, how did we get here? And someone might say, well, my dad put me in the car and he drove me here. That's how I got here. Someone else might say, hey, I was on the bus or SkyTrain or, hey, this is what I do on the weekends. I come to Willingdon Church. But that's not the question. The question is, how did we get here as a church family to Fall Festival 2019? And if we ask the sociologist that question, he or she might say, well, that's easy. First of all, Willingdon Church has an excellent location right at the center of Metro Vancouver. It's accessible. And then secondly, the founding members, many of them spoke German, but they decided early on to uh, do their worship services in English. And so the services were accessible to Burnaby neighbors. And then thirdly, with the successive waves of immigration, uh, Willingdon offered the services in up to 10 languages. That's how Willingdon got to festival, Fall Festival 2019. So if we heard that kind of an ex- explanation, would we be satisfied? Is that all that it is, language and location? How did we get here? And why do we exist Where are we going as a church family and what's in our hands right now that we are to do today? To answer those questions, we're going to go to a passage in the book of Acts. Ezekiel, come on up. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It's, if you grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, it's page 909. So, Ezekiel, why don't you read it for us? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thank you, Ezekiel. So those words were written by Luke, 
a medical doctor who accompanied the Apostle Paul. Luke, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, not only the book of Acts. And in the Gospel of Luke, he explains to Theophilus all that Jesus began to do and teach. He talks about Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, even talks about his ascension to heaven. He gives an orderly account of what transpired in the life of Jesus so that Theophilus might have an accurate understanding, a solid foundation for his faith. The book of Acts, also written by Luke, it picks up where his gospel ends. And so in the book of Acts, Luke, he is narrating for Theophilus how the church grew, how it rose in the early first century of its existence. He wants to give him again an accurate understanding of the rise and progress of Christianity. So what caused the rapid rise of the church in the first century? Renowned sociologist Rodney Stark, he used to be professor of sociology at, um, in comparative religion at the University of Washington. And when he was an agnostic, he wrote this book, The Rise of Christianity. The subtitle is daunting. How the obscure, marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. So, The book, it examines the rise of Christianity from a small movement in Galilee and Judea to a church that was spread across the Roman Empire within a few centuries. How did that happen? Rodney Stark, in his book, he points out that during the first centuries of the church's existence, the Roman Empire experienced a series of natural disasters, fires, earthquakes, um, epidemics, two big epidemics that affected the whole empire, one in 165 AD, the other in 251 AD, and uh, in each of those epidemics, a third of the Roman population, the the population of the Roman Empire, was wiped out. Stark argues that the Christians, they not only provided a reason for the suffering, but they also offered to themselves and to those around them a hopeful, even an enthusiastic portrait of the future. While many were fleeing the cities, you can imagine the chaos in those urban centers with all of the the, the disasters and the fear and, and the anxiety. Many people were fleeing the urban centers, but the Christians, they stayed. They stayed and they cared for the sick. During the epidemics, the traditional social bonds, of course, they came undone. And the Christians, they were present to minister not only to their fellow Christians, but to those who didn't believe in Jesus, and they shared the love of Jesus with them. So what's on our horizon today? There are many people in the world that live with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, because it appears that there are more natural disasters on the way. Some people live with fear because of the emergence of a new world order, the wars, the disasters, Other people in Canada are afraid because the church more and more finds itself on the margins of society. So how are we going to live into the future? Will we be like the early church, full of faith, full of hope, full of love, or will we just hunker down and try to hang on for survival? How should we live? Stark goes on and talks about other reasons for the rise of Christianity. He said that, interestingly, the Christians did not fight against their persecutors. 
but went to martyrdom. And while they were going to their martyrdom, they actually prayed for their captors. And so that gave the message credibility as well. Another thing about the cost of following Jesus, what it did is it freed the church of what Stark calls the free riders, those that had a low level of commitment. And then thirdly, the church did not practice what many in Roman society practiced. They did not practice abortion, and they did not practice female infanticide. And so in the life of the church, in the Christian communities, there were just more women. And the Christian faith was attractive to women because they were valued. They were allowed to participate in worship. And so there was an increasing number of female converts. So Rodney Stark, in his analysis of the church as a sociologist, he offers some fascinating reasons for the rise of Christianity in the first few centuries of its existence. But he does not talk about the core reason for its expansion. I believe that Acts chapter 1 gives us some really good answers for the growth of Christianity. The entire book of Acts, it tells the story of Jesus' disciples. As they carry on his ministry, they walk as he walked. He is their model. He is their inspiration. And that's a really important point for a church like ours that has as its mission statement, what is it? It's out there in the hall. Why do we exist? To know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry. That is our whole reason for being. That's why we exist, to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry. But you might ask, well, how do we do that? How could we ever carry on the ministry of Jesus? Did you notice in verse 2 that Jesus gave commands to the disciples through the Holy Spirit? Remember from last week that Jesus... He lived under the direction of the Father, and all that he did, he did by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, Jesus gives an order to his disciples, not just a suggestion, a command. Acts 1.4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what does Jesus mean by the promise of the Father? The prophet Joel speaks of this promise. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. The fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Jesus spoke of this promise as well. John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. Jesus, he even says to his disciples that it will be better for them when he goes. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then Jesus in John chapter 20 says to his disciples, As the Father sent me, 
so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the disciples cannot carry on the ministry of Jesus without the enablement of the Holy Spirit. If anything of God is going to happen through them, it will require the energy of the Spirit of God. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the ministry that happens through him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, That explains the title of our sermon series, E-Transfer. E-Transfer does not refer to a financial transaction. So during this sermon series, it's not time for you to go online, pull out your smartphone, and make all of your payments. That's not what this is about. The energy spoken of in the scriptures is not also some just impersonal energy force that somehow Paul has connected with or that the disciples connect with or that Jesus connects with. No, the scriptures talk about the energy of the very person of the Holy Spirit. So e-transfer is about energy transfer and it's what we receive from God. That is what we pass on. In this series, we're going to examine from the book of Acts how God was at work in the life of the early church, the Holy Spirit filling followers of Jesus with power so that they might proclaim the gospel and work miracles. That's the first six weeks. And then we're going to do an overview of the spiritual gifts. And we'll do that basing our study, our, 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 our sermons on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. The spiritual gifts, of course, are God's chosen way of working through his followers. If you want to be guaranteed of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the ministry that you are a part of, work in alignment with the spiritual gifting that God has graced your life with. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have, the good news is, you have received spiritual gifts from the Spirit. So Acts 1, Jesus says to the disciples, wait for the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to wait? That word wait in Scripture, most often, it refers to the attitude of a heart turned toward God. While we wait, we create space for God. Remember last week, we talked about Moses in the tent of meeting. What did Moses do? He went to the tent of meeting to hear from God. He created space to hear God's voice. So we're to spend time with God, align our hearts with his. That's the guaranteed place of communion with God, of transformation, of healing. We intentionally put ourselves in the presence of God. Now maybe you set up your tent in the backyard, Many of you probably went to your closets or bathrooms or rooms, office. We all have space that God has given us so that we can separate ourselves and be with him. And you only need five things, as I said last week. You need a desire, you need a place, a time, the Bible, and it's really good to have a notebook. I've been so encouraged this week as different members of Willingdon have told me about how they have separated time for God. They've spent time in worship, read the word, heard God's word to them, have written down their prayers, prayed those prayers, and then asked God for counsel around how they might follow God in their day, where they live. 
That experience is for all of us, all of us who follow Jesus. If you don't have a reading plan, I'd encourage you to pick up the Bible reading journal that's out there in the ministry stacks. It's great to have a plan. This plan, you just read two chapters a day. Do that. Hear God's word. And better yet, find someone that would like to journey with you. Don't do it on your own. Walk with someone. Share with someone else what God is saying to you and how you're seeking to be faithful and also listen to the other person, hear how they are hearing from God and seeking to be faithful and encourage one another. Form a little discipleship group. Later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 actually, the disciples, they go to their tent of meeting. For them it's an upper room in Jerusalem and they devote themselves to prayer. And next week we'll see the impact of that time of prayer. Some people look at waiting as wasted time. Oh, we're just waiting. Nothing is happening. If you're task-oriented, you might think, well, why wait? Just let's go. When we're waiting, God is active. Waiting, that's time to grow in our relationship with God. Grow in our intimacy with God. Come to an understanding of who God is. Grow in our confidence in Him. And while we wait, God is active. He is sovereign, sovereignly preparing the next season for us, preparing us to walk into it. The disciples, they want to know the times and the seasons. Jesus invites them to wait for God. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Disciples, don't be so anxious about what comes next. Surrender yourselves to the Father. Wait on the Father and receive the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, you are helpless. If you wait for the Holy Spirit, you will receive power, dunamis, energy. And again, throughout the book of Acts, that word dunamis, power, energy, it is used to describe the the disciples as they proclaim the gospel with power and work miracles under the empowerment of the Spirit. So how did the church grow? We started with this question. How did the church grow from a small group of followers in Judea and Galilee to being the church that was spread across the Roman Empire in a few centuries? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the explanation. How did Willingdon come to be as it is today? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How will you and I continue to do and teach what Jesus did and taught in our day? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to know Jesus and carry on his ministry by the power of the Spirit. And what are the disciples to do in the power of the Spirit? They're to be his authorized, empowered witnesses right where they are. Where? In Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, where would it, would, it have, would it have been difficult for the disciples to receive that commission? I believe that word Samaria. So, Samaria was right next door to, actually right in between Judea and Galilee. The Samaritans, they were of a mixed ethnic origin, partly Jewish. They had a syncretistic religion, incorporated some elements of Judaism. 
There were centuries of shared antagonistic history between Jews and Samaritans. They despised one another. So when Jesus said to them, go to Samaria, that was probably a difficult word to hear. How had Jesus been preparing them for that word? Well, when we read through the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, Jesus, he's traveling, gets into a Samaritan village, he's refused entry. Refused entry because he's on his way to Jerusalem. And when the disciples see what has happened, they ask him, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven to consume them? To consume them? Wouldn't be that be the right thing to do? Just burn everyone. And Jesus says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. I came to save, not to destroy. Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers. Only one comes back, a Samaritan. Again, the disciples are to take note. John chapter 4, Jesus is found beside a well, speaking to a Samaritan woman. He breaks all social convention. The disciples go off to Sychar for food. When they come back, they see Jesus beside the well talking to a Samaritan woman. What is he doing? And Jesus says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest, but the disciples in that moment can't see it. Do we see our own Samaritans? I believe that all of us, sometimes it's hard for us to admit it, but we have Samaritans. Let me talk about an example that's a bit remote for most of us. So I find the political rhetoric around the U.S.-Iran relationship sobering. For many Americans, Iran is the center of evil. For many Iranians, America is the center of evil. I watched a documentary a few weeks ago narrating the story of the church in Iran. Do you know that Iran is home to probably the fastest growing church movement in the world today? And so those who make the documentary, they try to explain what is happening. There's a church that's organic, that's underground, it's led by men and women without any formal theological training. They're ready to die for Jesus, they've counted the cost. As they proclaim the gospel, that proclamation of the gospel is being accompanied by signs and wonders. People are seeing Jesus in their dreams. Jesus is going before this church. Really interesting thing about this church is that these new Christians in Iran, they love Israel. Isn't that fascinating? What's the defining mark of the church according to those who make the documentary? What they say is it is most evidently a work of the Spirit. There is no other explanation for it. So sometimes we hear messages in the media and we don't actually have the heart of God. We don't see what the Lord is doing, how he is building his kingdom in our day. Who are our Samaritans? Uh, a month ago, I was invited to a poetry reading. I went to Yale Town Roundhouse Community Center. That's it. So there I was, sitting in the audience, listening to poets. The first poet gets up. He reads two poems. Both poems are about his struggle with his sexual identity. 
how difficult it is for him to become a woman. Painful. The second poet was a a young First Nations woman. Her first poem was about her struggle with drug addiction. It was dark. The second poem was a song to her aborted child. The third was about the horrors of sexual abuse. And the poets continued on. It was heart-wrenching. Literally heart-wrenching. And so as I sat there, I said to myself, Ray, you must proclaim the gospel. God's people must proclaim the gospel. We must share the message of Jesus' love. Because what I hear out there is not a message of love, of hope, of faith, of God being present to work and heal us and transform us into the image of his son, Jesus. And if we do not share that message, who will? People sit in their darkness. My friends, the mission of Jesus continues. You know, Acts 1.8 that word from Jesus that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, those are the last words of Jesus before his ascension. So that gives those words tremendous weight. It is not optional. Sometimes we read those words and we say, well, that's for those who are called. No, that is a commission on every follower of Jesus. And so if we're not following that commission, we are disobedient. That commission is our primary task. That's why Jesus left us here. All who receive the apostles' teaching, all who receive the Holy Spirit are to be his empowered witnesses in our day. Earlier this year, our elders and pastors adopted a sending church statement based on Acts 1.8. I'll read it for you. We will intentionally raise up, train, and send people to teach everything Jesus taught in partnership with like-minded churches and ministries to transform lives in Vancouver, Canada, and the world. It's obviously based on Acts 1.8. What does that mean for you and me? Well, first of all, it means that every member, every attendee of Willingdon that considers himself or herself to be a follower of Jesus is to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry where they are today, right here, Right now, it's for all of us. We're called by God and sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we are prayerfully considering how God might use us to plant churches in Metro Vancouver or other sites, how God should direct us. Pray with us. Pray with us. Third, We're going to continue to send short-term mission teams, long-term missionaries to people groups around the world. We just sent a team off to India. Pastor John has been casting this uh, vision 4050. What does that mean? Well, we're praying that over the next 10 years, God will raise up from this church family 4,050 prayer warriors that will commit themselves to pray for the unreached of the world. We're praying that God will raise up 40 long-term missionaries from this church family over the next 10 years. We're praying that we'll have the capacity to send out 50 short-term teams every year to Vancouver, Canada, and the world. This is a call, a commission that involves all of us. 
Do you know how many unreached people groups there are in the world today? Do you have any idea? So when we talk about an unreached people group, it is a people group where there is no viable church that would be able to self-propagate. In other words, there's no strong witness for Jesus. That means that the overwhelming majority in the people group would not have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. There are 7,000, 7,000. And those 7,000 people groups represent 40% of the world's population. So 3.2 billion people right now have no opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. So will we just sit and say, well, that's okay. At least I'm going to heaven. Or will we respond to the call of God on our lives and on this church family? Where are we going? We're going to Metro Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, Canada, and the world. That's where we're going. Will we hear the call? And some might say, well, we're not ready for that. There's no way we're ready for that yet. Let me tell you a story from from Brazil. Judy and I, we were leading a, a church plant in Brazil, and it had grown to about 200 people. Uh, a group from the church had planted another church in another municipality just on the outskirts of Sao Paulo. Uh, other members of the church had some fairly significant ministries in, in two slums. There was another group that was uh, doing a ministry to street children. And so it seemed like we had a lot going on. And while all of that was going on, a couple from the church plant sensed God's calling to a people group in Senegal, a Muslim people group, the Wolof. When they shared that call with us, some of the leaders in our church said, we're not ready for that. We're already overextended. <clears throat> so we decided to pray, which is always a good thing to do. We prayed. We uh, wanted to have a mission conference and it was amazing how God orchestrated this. I, couldn't, I can't tell you the whole story. But a few months later, we had a speaker, a leader of the church in Korea, another from West Africa, the Ivory Coast, a third, a leader from India. We had a mission conference in our little church, and it didn't cost us a penny. And through those leaders, we heard God's call to the least reached. That couple was sent to Senegal. They planted churches there. And we never lacked funding to support them in that mission. When God is at work among his people, there will be this flow to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It always happens wherever the Spirit of God is at work. And when God's call is being made on his people, God provides the problem is that sometimes we're distracted. In Acts 1.8, the disciples, they're waiting for something. They ask Jesus a fascinating question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why would they ask that question? Well, in their minds, they cannot experience God's blessing as his people if the Romans are ruling over them. Jesus You've done some really good things. You came, you lived among us, you died, you rose again. Now you've talked about the promise of the Father. The era of the Messiah is obviously dawning. Can we have the kingdom now? Can you secure our national sovereignty? Curious, right? Are we any different? Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're asking for some good things, but we're not asking for the best thing. 
Sometimes we're asking for some blessing. That's front and center for us. God, if you could just give me a new home. God, if you could just give me someone to marry. God, if you could just improve my grades. God, if you could just heal me. God, if you could just bless me, well, then I would maybe follow. And that's not how God works. God calls us and invites us into obedient faith. And as we follow, as we seek God with all that we are, the good things are added to us. The first disciples, they didn't understand what the Lord had for them between his resurrection and his return. They just didn't get it. Jesus commissions them, tells them that they are to wait for the promise of the Father. What he's saying is that the kingdom of God is going to extend as they share their faith in him. People around the world will come under his reign. And after saying these words, Jesus ascends in a cloud. A cloud of glory envelops Jesus. He returns to heaven. And the disciples just stand there gazing into heaven. The the scripture says looking, but the word is a fixed gaze. They're just fixated on Jesus up in the clouds. And two men appear, two angels in white robes. And they ask Jesus or sorry, they ask the disciples this question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is going to come back. He will complete the story. He will establish his reign of peace and justice. The promise of his return is as sure as the promise of the Father. What are they to to do in this micro moment that's theirs? Be empowered witnesses. They're not just to stand there looking up to the sky, waiting for Christ to return. They're to be ready for his return. And how do we, we prepare for the return of Jesus? What should we be doing? Well, the scriptures are clear. Stay alert. Be attentive. Pray. Pray for the coming of the Lord, but also pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Pray for those that don't know Jesus. And share the good news of Jesus Christ. Be those empowered witnesses. That's how we prepare for his coming. And so are we focused on what is really important to God? Or are we just asking for blessings for this day? God, I want to know you more. Jesus, I want to walk as you walked. Father, I want to walk under the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to see people come to faith this year. Lord, I want to be your servant in Metro Vancouver right now. May your kingdom come. And if we pray kingdom prayers, God-sized things will happen. God-only things will happen. What must we do in this season? Stay focused on the mission of Jesus. Stay focused on the mission of Jesus. And you know what? At Willingdon, you don't have to go very far. Do you know how many first-time visitors we had this last year? I'm talking about those that registered their presence with us through the Connect card. I'm not talking about those who came here anonymously, just showed up and participated and didn't let us know that they were here. 1,000. So 1,000 people came through our doors over the last year, first-time visitors. We don't have to go very far. Right here. We can welcome them. We can pray with them. 
We can talk to them in the cafe. We can volunteer in a ministry. We can invite people into our homes, into our life groups, into our fellowship groups. We can lead discovery classes. There, is, there are all kinds of ways to serve the people that come. Sometimes we just come and we say, okay, I'm going there. I want to worship. I want to pray, maybe be prayed for. I want to hear the word of God. And that is all wonderful. That's why we come. But we also come attentive to what God is doing. And if we come here praying, Lord, I know that people are coming to Willingdon this weekend that don't know you. I know that there are people coming that will be visiting for the first time. And these visitors, they come from all over the world. If we come with those eyes, you'll be amazed at how God uses you here on a weekend. We don't have to go very far. Sometimes I hear this from a first-time visitor. Uh, the people around me weren't very friendly. Well, you know what? The people around you may not be Willingdon people. <laughs> they may be first-time visitors as well. But people, according to studies show, people decide whether they're going to come back to a church family or not before they even enter the auditorium. Out there, people are sensing whether we are welcoming, whether we are God's people, full of the Holy Spirit, we, whether we are ready to receive them into our homes, our lives. They're making the decision out there. And I've heard so many good stories over the last year of people coming to faith in the lobby, in the cafe, even on the parking lot. If we come here expecting God to do something, we're coming to receive but also to give We'll be astounded at what God will do in the coming year. So what should we do today? Join the mission. Join the mission of Jesus. Jesus continues to build his kingdom. Sometimes we accept, unfortunately, the lie that we as Christians should not be bold witnesses in our day, that that is politically incorrect We cannot receive that lie. We cannot allow a blanket of apathy to rest on us. Everyone else in our society is preaching their message. We cannot be quiet in our day. God is building his kingdom. If God can build his kingdom in Iran, <laughs> under that regime, can't God build his kingdom in Metro Vancouver today? Without a doubt. And so may we share the message of love and hope, faith in Jesus with tremendous joy, expecting God to do great things in our day, right where we are. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. After I'm done praying, you're going to hear some drums. It's the drum group from Willingdon. Don't be scared. And uh, they're going to drum right out into the parking lot. You can follow them out there. And uh, take the opportunity to go through the booths, and maybe uh, God will direct you to sign up to serve uh, in, in a ministry here at Willingdon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you don't change, that you are gracious and merciful 
and steadfast in your love and you're always faithful. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling how to walk under the direction of the Father, how to walk under the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the way that you have commissioned us and you filled our lives with meaning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us with your energy, your power, your wisdom, your discernment, all that you are. Lord, we want to know you. We want to carry on your ministry. We want to be used for your glory. And so may your grace, Jesus, rest on us. The love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit May you be with us, Lord, as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great fall festival.